Hello, I'm Jameis. And I'm Tessa. Welcome to our podcast that celebrates wordiness and nerdiness and sometimes plain absurdiness. Please join us for today's episode of Your Your New New Favorite Favorite Word. Welcome, welcome. We are so glad to be back with episode 25 of Your New Favorite Word. To whet your appetites for today's etymological feast, we wanted to share a couple of tasty linguistic tidbits. <laughs> we discovered this week that the word cookie, which we thought was probably related to the word cook, is actually not. But it is related to the word cake. But neither cookie nor cake is related to cook. So if you want to find out more about that, it'll give you something to explore. Another thing that I had written down from a while ago, my daughter, who is studying Spanish, came up with a beautiful word, piqueso. So in Spanish, pequeño means small or little, and queso means cheese. So she created a portmanteau, which we've talked about in a previous episode, and created piqueso, a little bit of cheese. We love that. (laughs) So now that we've given you a little appetizer... Jameis, what have you prepared for your main course today? All right, got a lot. So what would you think, Tessa, if I were to call you a pig's eye? (laughs) I'm pretty sure I would be offended. (laughs) But what if I were to insist that it was a compliment? (laughs) Well, it turns out that this is the literal meaning of pig's knee. P-I-G-S-N-E-Y. Never heard of that before. Neither had I. The OED defines it as a now rare term for a specially cherished or beloved girl or woman, a sweetheart, (laughs) and says it derives from pig's eye. Oh, how in the world can that be a compliment? Pig's knee, isn't that awesome? (laughs) So the N in pig's knee comes from a faulty separation of an I, which in Middle English was sometimes written as a nigh. Oh, yes. Thus, pig's nigh, or pig's knee. As for how it became a term of endearment, (laughs) the OED conjectures that it might have been from children's talk, or perhaps the fond prattle of nurses. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Oh, aren't you the cutest, my little pig's eye? My sweet pig's eye. (laughs) Still weird, though. Yes. I actually think it shows up on the TV miniseries Wives and Daughters, where Bill Patterson's character, the father with the awesome Scottish accent, calls his daughter Pigsney at one point. I don't remember that. I need to watch it now to make sure. I could be misremembering. So did you just find that online, that reference to it? No, just as I'm thinking of it now, as I'm remembering the the show, it seems like I remember him calling her something that never registered because I didn't know the word. Yeah. so we need to watch that whole movie again. We need to watch it again. again. No. Any excuse to rewatch <laughs> Wives and Daughters. Pinkany, P-I-N-K-A-N-Y, is a similar word meaning etymologically pink eye. Mm-hmm. But not the kind of pink eye we know. <laughs> Here pink refers not to a color but is instead dialectical meaning small, winking, or half shut. Interesting. So pinkany thus literally means small or winking eye. And was used in the same sort of way as pig's knee. <laughs> also related is bird's knee. B-I-R-D apostrophe S hyphen N-I-E. Wow. Which literally means bird's eye, but which the OED oxymoronically calls a vulgar term of endearment. Oh. I'm not sure how that works. 
and the OED doesn't give any more commentary than that, so I decided to just walk away <laughs> from that one. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a bird would be less vulgar than a pig. I know, isn't that interesting? Fascinating. That pig's knee is the one that's nice. <laughs> so regardless, though, the thing about all three of these words, pig's knee, pinkany, and bird's knee, is their use of the word knee, or nigh, to mean eye. As mentioned, it comes from the phrase, an eye, being misinterpreted as a nigh. This happened a lot in Middle English because apparently the articles a and an were prefixed directly onto the noun, mm. making it hard for the reader to know where the words were supposed to be split. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yes. So this is probably where we get our word another, mm. right? An other, but we write it as a single word. Uh, the same linguistic phenomena that turned I into nigh, you'll hear people today splitting another into another. <laughs> Especially when a word is inserted between a them, whole like another ball game. Exactly right. <laughs> so, incidentally, inserting a word or phrase like that between the parts of another word or phrase is called tamesis. <laughs> T M E S I S. A great word in its own right. So, T M is are the first two letters. There's yep. no vowel in between there. Nope. Wow. Needs a little tamesis <laughs> to put something in between tamesis. Yes. But the phenomenon of changing I to nigh is a form of linguistic rebracketing called misdivision <laughs> or false splitting or faulty separation. Mm. And there are a lot of words in English, modern English, that are victims of this. For instance, did you know that apron and napkin are relatives? Oh, wow. Apron comes from napron, <laughs> which shares with napkin the French root nap, meaning cloth. Wow. But a uh, napron becomes an apron, while we unfortunately never got an apkin <laughs> out of a napkin. <laughs> Likewise. We're so fickle, aren't we? We I pick know. and choose. We pick and choose. <laughs> I personally would totally use an apkin at the table. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your apkin. Exactly. But my uncle, my uncle became. I didn't know about that one. My uncle. A uh, natter became an adder. It's mm. the snake. And a numpera became an umpire. <laughs> Even orange originally had an N mm. in it, which if you speak Spanish, what is it in Spanish? Naranja. Naranja. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so orange originally had an N. But the misdivision in this case occurred before the word ever came to English. Back when the Italians changed it from narancia to arancia. Mm. So another fascinating case of this is in the phrase, to eat humble pie. <laughs> Speaking of a feast. Exactly. Right on topic there. I've always thought it was an odd construction, like humble pie. And you picture kind of eating crow and that whole metaphor all fitting together. But it wasn't until this week that I actually looked at it closely. It turns out that it comes from an earlier phrase, umbles pie, where umbles, U-M-B-L-E-S, is the edible inner parts of an animal, usually deer. Oh. <laughs> so this makes more sense. Entrails. Exactly. Kind of since an umbles pie would have been a lower class food mm. accessible to those who couldn't afford the choicer pieces of meat. Wow. And thus eating umbles pie would have meant to lower or humble oneself. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. However, the word umbles itself comes from a Middle English word, numbles. <laughs> and you can see where this is going. Uh, numbles was misdivided as an umbles, paving the way for the pun with humble. <laughs> so this phenomenon can result in contronyms as well, where a word becomes its own opposite. 
Tessa, you talked about contronyms in an earlier episode. Yeah. So the word ought, A-U-G-H-T, can mean nothing or zero, as in ought nine mm-hmm. for 2009 or 1909, as well as something or anything, as in you cannot do ought without them. <laughs> this is because the nothing sense comes from a not, N-A-U-G-H-T, mm-hmm. being misdivided as an ought. Fascinating. Now, the reverse can also happen, where an N is added by assimilation with the article an. This phenomenon is called juncture loss. <laughs> and you can see it in the word newt. That sounds tragic. Tragic. <laughs> Lost by juncture. But in Middle English, a newt was called an oot, E-W-T-E. And this is the root of the modern word eft, E-F-T, which is what a juvenile newt is called today. Yeah, fascinating. So other words like this are notch from an och, (laughs) (laughs) and the nonce from Old English van onus, meaning the once. Wow. Also, I liked this one. A nickname is a misdivision of earlier an eek name. Whoa. Where eek, E-K-E, as in to eek out, means to increase. An eek name thus meant an additional or increase of name. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yes. So in Middle English, as I mentioned, was a breeding ground for this kind of misdivision. Though the following words aren't used anymore, Edam Online lists them as words that appear irregularly in Middle English texts. See if you can figure out what word is being referred to. And I'll just read straight through, so I won't ask you to guess. Tessa. <laughs> Thank you. Not putting me Most of them are pretty obvious, though. <laughs> uh, Nyland. Uh, narrow. Uh, Knox. Uh, Noak. Uh, Napple. Uh, Neg. Uh, Ninch. Uh, Nostrich. <laughs> and a Null. Like an all, an right? A-W-L. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. My favorite of these, though, is a nidiot. <laughs> <laughs> Which itself was further corrupted to become the sadly obsolete nidget. <laughs> so there are many more examples of this that I could cite, like anatomy and atomy being hilarious misdivisions of anatomy. <laughs> but I'll end with ninny. <laughs> which per Edam Online is possibly from a misdivision of an innocent. Oh. An innocent. Wow. And Edam Online quotes a 16th century source as using this to produce the delightful portmanteau Nineversity, <laughs> used to describe a school for idiots. <laughs> or as we might say, midgets. <laughs> so there's a lot to digest there. I'll add some links to a Wikipedia article about rebracketing, which is the more general case of misdivision, mm. as well as a link to the entry for the letter N at Edam Online, <laughs> wow. both of which have some delightful examples of this phenomenon. My favorites this week, though, are going to be Pigsney and Nidget. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you, Tessa? What have you got for us? Well, as I mentioned last week, I've been watching a virtual storytelling conference and um, festival. And one of the tellers in her story used the word chicanery. And it's a word I've heard before. It can also be pronounced chicanery. It's C-H-I-C-A-N-E-R-Y. And it means deception by trickery or sophistry. 
the use of deception or subterfuge to achieve one's purpose, slyness or wiliness of character, a dishonest trick, an act of deception, or a petty quibble. <laughs> Such a descriptive word. It sounds like what it means, I feel. Yeah, definitely. Now, this word is of unknown origin, but one guess is that it could be possibly related in French to the word chic, meaning small or little, originally in Middle French, and a small piece or subtlety was another meaning. And this arose in Middle French as chicaner, to quibble or to pettifog. And this word in the 1610s became used in English to mean legal quibbling, sophistry, or mean or petty tricks. So to quibble or pettifog, these are fabulous <laughs> words they in are and of themselves. Wonderful words. Yes. So meaning petty argument. So quibble, a verb that means to evade the point or turn from the point in question or the plain truth originally. And in its noun form, it meant a pun or a play on words. Really? Yes, when it was first adopted into English. And this comes from an obsolete word, quib, which meant an evasion of the point at issue, which came from an overuse of a Latin term, quibus, by what things was the meaning of that, okay. in legal jargon. It's used over and over again. And it supposedly gave it the an association with trivial arguments. So, okay. as you know, legal documents are often very full of small, minute, nitpicky details. <laughs> so this word, quibus, became known as quib, which eventually resulted in quibble. I have to ask, is that the frequentative suffix? It didn't say that in Adam Online. It called it a diminutive okay. suffix, but I did wonder that myself. <laughs> it seems like a good candidate for that. Yes. Okay. And then the other word that was used in the definition of chicanery was pettifog. I don't know. Is that a word you've heard before? I've heard it before, but never used it. Yeah. It sounds to me like a Charles Dickens word. Very much. It sounds like <laughs> someone's name in Charles Dickens. Yes, it definitely could be. I haven't read everything by him. But uh, a pettifog or a pettifogger or pettifoggery are all forms of this word. A pettifogger was a lawyer whose practice involved petty matters or who lacked sound legal judgment or skills, one who <laughs> quibbled over trivia. And this came from two words, petty plus fogger. And a fogger at that time was a huckster, a cheat, one who engages in mean or disreputable practices. And this came from a family name, Fugger, <laughs> F-U-G-G-E-R, which was a German family that were renowned merchants and financiers in the 15th and 16th centuries. Wow. Who, as you might imagine from the connotations, <laughs> were very monopolistic. They were very wealthy and very unkind to the poor. Mm. They were in it for the money. So their name became synonymous with huckster, cheat, and mean and disreputable practices. And this was one of my favorite things, an alternate verb form at one point, showing English word coinage at its best, to pettifogulize, <laughs> oh, was to fantastic. act in a pettifogging manner. <laughs> so these were words that follow the 
petty argument sort of meaning of chicanery. But according to Roger, there is also this idea of trickery and deception. And he had quite a list in his thesaurus of words related to trickery and deception, which were also a very fertile field for interesting words. Oh, I'll bet. So, skullduggery, <laughs> crafty deception or trickery, which is apparently from a Scottish euphemism, skulldudry, which meant adultery. Oh. So it had a much more serious meaning originally, but it's become a little bit more generalized, a little less serious, I guess. And another one, skullduddery, which as an adjective could mean bawdry or as a noun, obscenity. Oh. But no one knows for sure where those words came from. And then quackery. <sighs> yes. The act of an untrained person pretending to be a doctor and dispensing medication and or medical treatment and advice Quackery came from a word quacksaver, which meant a hawker of salve. <laughs> and quacken meant originally to brag or boast or little, literally to croak and saff, S-A-L-F, meaning salve. So you were out croaking about this miracle cure that you had and you were um, engaging in quackery and eventually the word became quack to describe the person. Wow. Yeah. And so another word for quackery is mountebankery. A mountebank was a peripatetic quack. That's another word for another day. Peripatetic. Yes. I love that word. But one who sells unproven remedies at fairs, etc. In one writer's words, a doctor that mounts a bench in the market and boasts his infallible remedies and cures. So from an Italian word, montambanco meaning mount on bench to be seen in a crowd. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very literal. One who climbs up on the bench to hawk his wares. Yeah. Wow. I like that. Yeah. So another word related to these charlatanism. So from French and originally from Italian before that, charlatano from the word charla meaning chat or prattle. And Edam Online says this is this word charla was perhaps imitative of ducks quacking. So we got this Still idea of that. quack again. But interestingly, the American Heritage Dictionary posits that it's probably an alteration of Ceretano, an inhabitant of the city Cereto, which was famous for its quacks at one point <laughs> in history. <laughs> so Wow, okay. Yeah, an entire city. Of quacks. What a legacy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we have the word charlatan today to show for that. And humbug or humbuggery. This was student slang in the 1750s, <laughs> meaning a trick, a jest, a hoax, an imposition, or a deception. But no one knows where this comes from. Like a lot of slang terms, someone made it up, sounded great, spread like wildfire among the students, right? Yeah. Even at the time, its origin was a subject of much whimsical speculation. <laughs> and another synonym for humbug, malarkey. This one is a lot of fun. Meaning exaggerated or foolish talk, usually intended to deceive. And the example in the American Heritage Dictionary was, he was snookered by a lot of malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> so we were just loving the slang terms for being deceived or deception. Oh, that's great. Yes. And this word malarkey is also of unknown origin, although it is a surname. 
but nobody knows if that's where it comes from. And that brings me to probably my real new favorite word, <laughs> a 1934 slang word meaning malarkey or humbug, acamaracus. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a magic word. Yes. Incantation. Yes. So that's spelled A-C-K-A-M-A-R-A-C-K-U-S. Acamaracus. And this is a word that I am determined <laughs> to bring back to our time. So let's hear it in context. <laughs> well, that was a whole lot of malarkey and acamaracus. You can't <laughs> fool me. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, thank you, Tessa. Thank you. Definitely not much acamaracus in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We do this podcast because we love words, and we love sharing that with all of you. If you ever encounter a word or phrase that makes you think, or even just makes you smile, send it our way. We're at ynfw at jamesbuck.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash your new favorite word. Drop us a line anytime. We always want to know, what's your new favorite word?